Anytime you can see even a tiny bit of change that could be for the good, propose it and see if your reps find it valuable and if it'll be worth your time. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. On today's episode, we'll be speaking to a 2021 OpStars Awards finalist on the topic of lead management transformation. Now, this story caught my attention for two reasons. One, it contains some solid best practices that any marketing operations professionals can adopt to become more strategic, to be better positioned to really effectively take the reins and successfully manage complex projects. And it also highlights the importance of building your buying experience based on how your clients want to engage. As we race to build the digital experiences, we need to keep in mind that not everybody out there is a big adopter of technology. I'm your host, Rachel McBrady, and I'm joined today by Chelsea Cadditch. Welcome, Chelsea. Hey there, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great to have you here. So Chelsea is the Director of Marketing Operations at McGraw-Hill. McGraw-Hill is a 132-year-old American learning company, one of the big three educational publishers. They provide customized educational content, software, and services for pre-K through post-graduation education. And Chelsea is a MOP star. She's a five-time Marketo champion, Fearless 50 member, MUG co-leader, 2019 champion of the year for the Revy Finals, 2020 Adobe Experience Maker Award winner, and our 2021 OpStars Awards finalist. Chelsea, excited to have you here. You bring quite a depth of experience. And to say I worked in, in publishing my first 10 years of my career, did uh, book design and illustration. Uh, but I often think about publishing as not being the most advanced technologically, but you are leading a team that is really cutting edge. Very excited to, to speak with you today. Love to hear more about your role. I understand you manage governance and campaign functions of your school services business. We'd love to hear more about that and maybe a little bit about how did you end up in this role? Yeah, yeah, great, great question and good introduction. Thank you. You said it better than I think I can say it myself about our company. So I'm happy to be here. But yeah, so I can get into a little bit of how my team is organized and then I can always talk about how I ended in marketing ops. I feel like everybody's story is something different. It's pretty exciting to hear. So I am the director of marketing operations. So I oversee marketing automation and operations here at McGraw-Hill for the K-12 side of the business. And one thing I say that I am so lucky to have is I actually have two teams dedicated to automation and operations respectfully. So a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people just have a one-person team or you know, two members, one doing campaign ops and one doing operations. It's really nice to have. So I have a senior manager on my side who deals with all of marketing automation. And how we really say that here at McGraw-Hills is, is campaign operations. A lot of times people aren't understanding the two different teams and how they operate. So I always tell people, listen, if you're running a campaign that has to do with email assets, landing page assets, or anything that's customer facing, that's marketing automation or campaign operations. I come from the MOP side and um, I have one senior analyst who supports us there. And that's more of like the backend architecture and infrastructure. 
of the data of McGraw-Hill and kind of how we operate. So we truly support the functions of product marketing, marketing automation, and sales. So it's really nice that we kind of are all, you know, cohesive in one team. So that second team is is one that I would guess has to work pretty cross-functionally then if you're supporting all those different roles. Yeah, for sure. And we actually just recently merged our sales and marketing teams. So, you know, a lot of people have coined the term revenue operations. We haven't really adopted that here quite yet, but our sales and marketing is is now one team. And I think that was about a year ago. So we do um, all lead up to one chief revenue officer, um, which is, you know, new for me. I've never been in an organization where sales and marketing have been together. I like it. It's great because we already work so close together. But, you know, there's all there's also just pain points in general of working with sales and trying to make sure that we're doing our jobs effectively and really giving sales what they need to work. So we have um, so my team is great and it's we're, we're always growing. So that's another thing where we are always adding team members. We just um, acquired another learning education company. So that's another thing, too, is we're growing in that realm as well, which is really fun. So we really operate as kind of like that central hub or central agency, if you will, of all things operations and automation. So it's a lot of fun over here. I've been here for about two years in December before here. And this is why I love he- like hearing people's histories, because I know somebody who was like an art major and they're in operations and are a history major, you know? So I actually went to Kent State and got my degree in PR. I always wanted to be like Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. That was like what I wanted to be in, in the moment was, you know, like a PR girl. And I decided like, maybe it's not for me because I don't love like dealing with the public and like making a brand look good because I'm not, I wasn't that good at it. So I actually started out in event planning and um, that's when I heard of using marketing automation for like planning our events. So I would start with, you know, email chains, promoting our events, going to the events, doing conferences and traveling for all the conferences, which was also really fun. And that's where I started to really realize like I'm really into data I love data. I actually love being behind the scenes. I love building all these things. I love building dashboards and reports. And that's where I figured out that maybe I uh, can't be the PR girl I thought I would be. And here I am in operations now. But it sounds like you might use some of those PR skills to promote and communicate what your team is doing. So they're not completely wasted. Yeah, I always say like I'm happy went that way because it taught me to also be well-written and well-spoken, you know? So being a leader, sometimes you have to really understand how to communicate things out to different audience and stakeholders. And so I'm kind of happy I have that in my background. Well, I'm looking forward to diving into your lead management story, but maybe before we get to that, I'd like to touch on a few items, kind of set the context for the solution you're going to talk about. I think there's a few good things in what you do and how you approach your job that other marketing operations managers can learn from. And it's really talking about three things. One is just giving us an overview of your go-to-market I know you work with government organizations and there's some unique aspects to what you do. Many of us kind of think about this as defining the target accounts and how to win them, but I think you think about it slightly differently. And I think the key thing here too is your knowledge of your business. That as you talk about what your go-to-market is, who you're serving, seems to be a critical thing for any marketing operations manager to really understand that bigger picture, to be able to be more strategic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think as you start to lead teams, you have to start to understand exactly what you said to be more strategic. I'm also, I love leaders who have had the space to be in the weeds, if you will. So they understand their business more because to your point, the reason I understand our customers so much is because I used to be a marketing operations manager where I was really, you know, head on into the data and development and audience and learn that way. 
So yeah, our, our operating model is a little bit different. And it's even different from other BUs in our company, which makes it interesting. You know, higher ed is a little bit different than how we operate and, and for international. So we actually, because we're K-12, you have to think a lot of it's government data or public data, if you will. So, you know, there's a lot of times where we already know what kind of funding schools will get, or we see some legislation passed, and we know that we can, you know, have that opportunity to promote our products. The really interesting thing about our audience, though, is we have something called adoption versus open territory. And anybody within the education space knows what this means right away, but as an ops person, you usually don't. And it's different. So our sales model actually operates a little bit differently too, because open territory means like a traditional B2B business model. We're promoting our products to schools, curriculum directors, principals, what have you, um, whether they are publishing materials, e-learning platforms, whatever we are, you know, promoting. It's a true B2B SaaS model for the for the e-learning opportunities. Now for adoption, it's a little bit different. So without getting too into the weeds of legislation and how it operates, adoption is a little bit different where essentially our sales members have to promote and pitch McGraw-Hill and our products to um, different government legislation and to the schools to be accepted to even be a vendor you can buy from. So it's almost like you have to take a couple steps just to be on that short list of vendors where you can get, you know, your education materials. So as you can imagine, the sales team is a lot more immersed within those districts and those states to truly put together kind of like a presentation for why McGraw-Hill should win the bid. So it's a little bit different for us because we still serve the market the same on the marketing ops side, but how we treat it a little bit differently is we try to report on it differently because it's a completely different type of audience that doesn't follow the true B2B model. And the sales team is, is organized differently for them too. So um, I remember when I first started here, I was like, oh, this, I have never operated in an environment like this. So I'm really trying to adapt and understand how we go to this audience segment differently or what we determine in the data that we have. Interesting. So to put it in to a way that I might think about it in a software business, you become a preferred vendor. So those schools can only choose products from those preferred vendors? Yes, exactly. So you still need to win them over on a school level or even on a teacher level? Yeah, more at like even the state level. So the state will essentially say, okay, we heard from you know, three, these three organizations and we approve of their curriculum direction or what they have to offer us, you can, you can buy from them. I also kind of, it reminds me of if you're at a wedding venue, <laughs> I always compare it this way too. And you are, you purchase the venue, you're there and they have preferred or a pick list of vendors that you have to purchase from. It's exactly like that too. So you have to imagine on the sales side, if we don't win the bid for the state and some of these are really big states you already automatically lose out on all the revenue opportunity of that state because you know you won't get a sale because you aren't you know, selected as a vendor. Yeah, it's pretty huge. So once you secure that state, then the, the teachers, how do they then come to you? I would guess those, those persona are the folks you engage with on an individual level. Yeah, and the decision makers for schools vary. And again, that's also why education is so interesting for some school districts. You might have a curriculum coordinator or curriculum director who does a school level type of um, decision making. Sometimes they do a district level decision making. And then sometimes you have principals doing that decision making or you might have teachers who are part of, you know, maybe it's an internal panel that helps select the curriculum. So it's really all over the board. But the way they usually come to us, there's a different variation of ways they come to us. A lot of it is sales reps have their relationship with, with some of these people, right? Just like traditional sales. 
they know the principal at XYZ school or the superintendent at the school district, you know, they have their opportunities with them and work them that way. We also have just ways that customers can come to us as a hand raiser too. Like they might know that McGraw Hill is on that short list. They want to see what we have to offer because maybe they have an education or curriculum gap in some certain area and they come to us. And that's when my routing um, of our team kind of takes place where we route that to the proper sales rep to vet and follow up with that record. Interesting. So is speed to response important, speed to lead? It is. And that's something that we have gotten so much better at. I'm really proud of our team in, in general. I mean, speed is is something that we definitely track and it has to be taken into account because you have to think these people are raising their hands to be contacted. So just like any other customer experience or brand experience, if you fill out a form to talk to somebody and it's a week or two weeks before they get back to you, it doesn't make your company look that good, right? So we usually try to get back to our customers within two days and our sales team has been working really hard and we're usually pretty close to that time frame. Excellent. So tell us a little bit more about these folks that come to you or reach out. I think we had uh, talked a little bit about these teachers and curricular directors. We're all working feverishly to build out digital experiences, but your customers prefer more traditional customer experience? They do. I mean, not all of them, right? COVID was a big change for us because a lot of people went digital. But I mean, you have to think about it. We're still talking about teachers who love to have books in hands. And these are teachers and, you know, different uh, district-wide admins who we work with that they might reply to our marketing email. And I always laugh and say, it's always in like teacher comic sans. And it's like, please help me with this print sample or something. So they're still looking to us as a partner to just reply to them, right? They even reply to us via email, you know, our customer service team. And while we try to promote our digital offerings, we still have school districts that just want the books within the kids' hands, like I mentioned. So I always remember when I was um, in elementary school, I always remember seeing McGraw Hill and the logo. And I always thought of Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. People say that all the time. And I'm just like, oh, what an interesting company. It's not owned by Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. It's not country music at all. And then here I am, you know, 20, what, two years later, 23 years later working for them. So you have to remember, like, we have such a history with our customers. We have such a history and a brand that people know and people love um, and people have used for a long time. So yes, we are trying to innovate. We are trying to be mature with our technology. But I would say where my focus is for my team is, you know, let's say we keep our customers who still want those physical textbooks in their classroom and they, you know, mix that with a little bit of e-learning. I still want to be innovative in my team because what we deal with is getting back to customers, um, providing them information on what they want, providing them answers. Um, We have a DTS team who supports if they can't get into their account online. You know, we still want to be innovative internally within our team so we can automate everything and have it be faster. It's a really cool experience to see like such a, an older recognized company, a reputable brand, really trying to innovate internally to have our processes be faster. So let me go back to what you just said. It sounds like marketing is working side by side with customer service. Is that how your model works? It is. Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of hand in hand. So where marketing operations comes into play with customer service is we, everybody in our company knows that we own our routing, right? We own the marketing hand raisers of customers to sales. So there are times where somebody might fill out a hand raiser form or contact customer service and their request is better fit for somebody on the sales team. 
we have worked with our customer service team to be able to route that request from a customer to the proper sales rep within our CRM. So it's another way that our team's involved. A lot of times people don't realize like marketing kind of can have a foot in everything. That's a big project we actually completed this past year where it used to just go into the into a black hole whenever customer service wanted to give it over to sales reps. We couldn't see what they followed up with, how long it took them, because it was just through Outlook. It was like forward, hey, this person wants to know more about this product. Can you reach out to them? So what we launched was a way for customer service to actually send tasks over to sales reps so we can monitor um, and follow up with the customer, you know, if they don't get what they need. So that's a really big win for our team. Well, of course, they just go to support. Um, so the ability to then take those and I guess try to hit those same SLAs regardless of where they come in with a request. Essentially, yeah. And you have to think as a customer, sometimes you don't know how to get into the right contact with the right person. So while I might be a teacher at, you know, Columbus City School uh, school in, in Columbus, and I want to know more about this product, I might just find a page on our website and fill out the form, not knowing who it goes to, right? But here it might go to the customer service rep and that, that rep is like, oh, this is way better, better fit for the rep on this account. So that's kind of how the two connect the dots is just making sure that when we cross-functionally share customers because of the need, we're able to track it and see what happens with that customer. So maybe share a little bit about how did you solve for that? What processes did you put in place? We did a lot of cool different workflow actions in our CRM, but essentially one thing that we connected together was we know that our routing were all works within our marketing automation platform. And we use the native sync between the two platforms and we use the task object and while we have a very robust routing program that's always on in that system, we started to think through, okay, how can we bring customer service into the same aspect? So one thing that we did, and we actually piloted it and it went well, and now it's live with everybody, is we created a landing page within our marketing automation platform where the customer service agent can actually just fill out the form of the request of the customer they're receiving. That form is already connected to our routing anyways. So when they fill out that form, we're then able to identify this came from customer service. Here's what the case mentioned in our CRM. And then we have workflow processes in Salesforce that picks up what type of information they're interested in, the account, and finds the proper rep to route it to. So it really was a combination of using the sync between the systems, workflow processes in, in our CRM, and using our pure you know, task routing within our marketing automation platform. Excellent. So what were the advantages of not just routing a case or just routing that individual lead? Why the task object? Yeah, we actually thought through that too. And the biggest reason we work from the task object in general, so when it comes to customer service, is we wanted it to match what the sales reps are already doing, right? If another customer comes in from a different audience member, we want it to match the process they've been doing for three years. Now, originally, when we launched this whole routing process, we, you know, it was before my time, but I do know the man at the marketing operations manager at the time was thinking, okay, should we use alerts where we just give them a heads up that a customer is interested? Should we use a task where they're a little bit, you know, held more accountable? And that's when we brought in sales leadership. So I, I think it was handled the right way. That's when you really start to want to work with sales to understand how you guys can meet in the middle to have a process be good for both of you. So once, you know, we brought in sales leadership, they were able to say, hey, we want to hold them accountable. We want to be able to run reports to see how many tasks they worked, what happened to those tasks, how many were linked to opportunities. So we felt that was really the best object for us to use for, you know, our business goals. That's excellent. So that also gives you good dashboards and insights that you can track too. 
Yeah, we actually have a dashboard called um, Marketing Opportunities and Tasks Dashboard. And it's essentially every single task we send over. I mean, anything you can think about the task we report out on. And we are able to accurately report on uh, marketing contribution to revenue as well, which is big. So what was the impact? You said there were some hand raisers falling into a black hole. What were the sort of the results of, of going through this transformation? Yeah, I would say, I mean, like any new process, it was just a matter of teaching and educating the sales reps for soft, you know, and that's where understanding how to work with sales really comes into play and is important because you're introducing a brand new process to them. Sometimes even a new object within the system they're already working in. So of course, the first question we all know they're thinking is, why am I doing this and what's in it for me? So I always talk to my team about the what's in it for me factor when we're talking to sales. And it's nothing against them. They're busy. They're working large opportunities. They're bringing in you know, all this business for our company. So we just want to do our part to provide you know, this for them. So we made sure we got in on some of their mandatory trainings that they host. So we ha- I think they have quarterly or seasonally trainings from our sales admins team. And we got a spot within that for a mandatory training on how to work these tasks. I know we had open office hours. We have a, we have a shared mailbox that they can reply back and ask questions, provide impact. They know who our team members are. So while I joined about a year and a half into it, I was still working through some pain points. So I always tell everybody, it's going to take some time. It's not going to just change overnight. So I still, to this day, interview sales reps. I have my team interview sales reps. We ask them for feedback before we do large enhancements to the process so they understand we're really here to work with them and to understand and make their lives a little bit easier. I think that's an important message to communicate too as you go through these big process changes. It does take time. You can get to some initial wins right away, but truly getting it all operationalized and in a smooth way across a large organization takes time. So sounds like you do have leadership that was very supportive of the project. Did you have to break it down into segments? Are you Have you been measuring things over time just to make sure everybody knows progress is being made? Yeah, and we did. And that's a great point you bring up about how leadership you know, really had to have a play into it. Now, we always pilot things out. So whether it's talking about launching this lead routing process at the onset, or if we're talking about enhancements, we always do some type of pilot. So we bring in a certain sales leadership member, whether it's an RVP or a director or a DM of a team, have them be on board and truly understand and have their team adopt that. So that was one big work in progress we had. Another thing I'll mention too about the time it takes, I just confidently last year could report on revenue influenced by our tasks. So you have to think we launched it in 2017, I think, and 2021, I can just now confidently report. Now I will say we had some great figures and we're making progress, but now I can put it out on a dashboard and be like, I can showcase why and how this number got here. So that just goes to show you, like it takes a long time to get some of those big ticket items marked off to show leadership. Yeah. Well, congratulations on getting there. (laughs) Yeah. It's big for us. Yeah. So we just constantly enhance things, right? I mean, how else are you going to learn? I want to say when you ask about segments, I will say throughout this whole project of our lead routing, including customer service and DTS and everybody that we have, there was probably about four or five big milestone projects that it took. Um, There's always little enhancements here and there that we make or we ask sales reps like, do you like this Boolean field you have to check to create an opportunity or, you know, something small that we can change. But as far as like a big movement in the process overall, there was about those four or five milestone projects. That makes sense. Great. Maybe just uh, highlight, did you have some key results 
Yeah. And well, and the other thing that's that's specific about education is there's certain years that certain school districts will adopt, you know, large pieces of curriculum. So we already know kind of the model that we're going to take on revenue, but with a COVID year, things were really different for us. And we are able to accurately report on, are we up or are we down? We have two different kind of the KPI indicators for us that, or I, want, I don't want to say KPI, uh, more benchmark pieces that we have. We have, we report out on percent change year over year, but we also report out on um, how close we are to benchmark. And the reason we do that is because we our benchmark numbers are actually from 2019 because 2020 was such a weird year. I don't confidently say, let's say we're up 15% on, you know, linked opportunities to our tasks. I don't know if that's because our business is better and we're doing things better or because COVID was different. So we always report back to 2019 for right now. So that's why I make sure when I report out to leadership or whomever wants these results, 2019 is our benchmark. So we try to measure of that, but then we also report out versus 2020, just in case they're curious. So we are able to accurately show, you know, that we are either increasing revenue. Another thing I look at too is sales accepted versus sales rejected. That's another KPI for us because we want sales accepted to grow over time to show that our leads are good quality. Um, Another thing I report on too is how long it takes the sales reps to work the lead and to complete the task as well. So we kind of differentiate those by to work just means to say, hey, I saw you reached out. What can I help you with? And that should be within two days, right? And then we have time to complete. It's going to take a little bit longer to get to know the customer, see if there's a viable opportunity. So of course, we're not going to expect the sales reps to get that done in two days. So because of all this work we've done, we're able to report on this month over month, quarter over quarter. And it's really nice to be able to just now look back and see trends over time with our process versus just trying to keep our head above water. That's excellent. And you can see those leading indicators. Do you manage both those pieces you just talked about in the form of tasks? Yeah. So, well, it's actually usually the same task. So that's a good question. So there's different statuses, essentially, like the first time a task comes to them, they accept or reject it. And that's for us, they got it and they reached out to the rep, right? So, or they reached out to the customer. I accept this customer. It looks like they're legit. They have a real question. I reached out to them or I rejected them because it looks like they were from a bogus school when I actually did my vetting and it wasn't you know, an accurate lead or something like that. And then that same task is then either created in a, into an opportunity, attached to an opportunity because they had better conversations with them. They feel like there's actually a sale that could happen. Or it might be like, hey, I talked to this person you know, a couple of times for a week and I just feel like it's not the right time for them. So I'm going to, you know, end this task and mark, you know, why I'm not going to pursue this further. Excellent. And we would all love to have that kind of visibility. Yeah. It's, it's not always the, <laughs> the fluffy things that I want to see, right? Like as an operations manager, I want to see it all. And we actually created an error dashboard this year too, which is another big win where we now have a dashboard that syncs between our systems where I can see if something's going wrong. So I always say from an operations mindset, we don't want to see the fluffy stuff. I want to see like, where can I dig in more to help improve the process? Where are things going wrong? And what can we do to help with that? I love your approach. You said, what's in it for me? Nobody likes putting data into systems. So if there isn't anything in it for them, they're not going to put the data in so that you can then have what you need to run the business. That's a really good tip. Make sure they can see that there's going to be benefits, better leads, notifications, helping them keep everything organized and prioritized so that they get benefits from the data that's there and insights right back to what worked and what didn't to improve sales. I love that tip. Anything else that you'd want to touch on? 
Yeah, no, I would just say like, make sure you're always in conversation with your reps. It's just important. You know, and I like how you just kind of summarize it a little bit too. The other thing that you think about is whenever we talk through enhancements for the process, it might not seem like a big enhancement to you as an operations team or a manager, but sometimes even a small enhancement I've made, I'll hear a rep say, oh, I'm so happy you did that. It might not seem like it, but it saves me a ton of time because I work these particular type of tasks or contacts. So anytime you can see even a tiny bit of change that could be for the good, propose it and see if your reps find it valuable and if it'll be worth your time. Love it. Thinking about not just your end customers, but your your sales team as your customers designing for them. Yeah. And it's just about building that relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, we're working closer together than ever. You have You now have sales enablement tools that are blurring the lines of marketing operations tools. And if you don't like working with sales and you might not want to be in the operations space, but I, I love, I learn from my sales reps all the time. I love reaching out to them. I've sat in calls before with customers and it's just really insightful to see their day-to-day. And if I don't see their day-to-day, I don't know how I can help them. I think maybe we are on the cusp, Chelsea, of sales and marketing kind of coming together and not being in silos idea that you really do need to work together to keep those customers happy and growing and and doing that hand in hand. It's an exciting time in this space for sure. Yeah. And and it's only, I, I feel like it's only getting stronger with the tools we have too. Another interesting thing we had this year as well is a lot of times you see the two system admins as separate, meaning CRM and a marketing automation admin. Our teams are now together too. So we have a, I'm part of, I roll up to the VP of marketing and sales systems. So we are a systems team and it is so awesome to work side by side with our CRM admins because previously at any other role I've been at, they're on a different team with different leadership, with different goals, and it's hard to get things done, but now we're one team. So it's really, this is the first time I've been like this in any organization. And at first, when I heard about the reorg, I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Why haven't we done this before? So it's really cool to work hand in hand with other admins of systems too. Yeah, that makes sense. Have it on an ops level, but then also thinking about and across those journeys and, and doing those end-to-end processes so that you can see it, I, I guess, in service of that, that bigger picture you're, you're putting together. All right. Well, I have a couple of questions for you in closing. Love to hear any advice you might give to someone who's just starting out in their first operations role. I would say just be a sponge and learn everything you can and reach out to those who do know what they're doing or have had some experience. I know a lot of us who are in the operations space are pretty open with sharing our insights. So just be okay with diving in and being a sponge and doing the work and learning from it. You know, that's part of our goal here is helping to connect ops with ops. We, we hear that a lot from operations professionals, you know, the willingness to share and also that just by nature of the kind of role you do, you have to be inquisitive and constantly learning. It makes sense. You, you should kick off your career thinking that way and not being afraid to get out there and ask somebody who's done that before. Someone said to me, you know, any problem you have, somebody else has probably solved it already. So why don't you go find out how they've done it instead of just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm the first. You're probably not. That is so true. <laughs> and I would say... Like there, and there's been so many times it reminds me of like when I was in college or high school, I like wanted to ask a question, but I was too nervous about it. There are probably other people wondering the same thing in their head. So I, throughout my career, I got over, I guess I got more confident in being okay with maybe this is not, maybe this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. And maybe I'm having a blank mind for a minute and not understanding it. But there are times where I just, I'm six, seven years experience now. 
And I know people who are way more junior than me that can answer some questions that I'm struggling with. So we're all sharing differently. It's just being okay with having the confidence to kind of speak up and say something. I love that. All right. And last question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? Oh, that's a good one. Can it be like a panel of people? <laughs> I sure. I would probably, I have different thoughts on this, but I'm going to go with when I was first starting out in my career trajectory, those people I learned from and I was mentored by, I would love to take them out to lunch to see where they're at. So we use a couple agencies. Um, I actually shout out to a couple customers in the community. Um, her name is Taylor Enfinger and Jenny Robertson. They work for a they work for an agency that we use at the time, and they actually trained me on on the system that I use now. I would love to just take them out to lunch and be like, "What kind of questions did I ask? I want to know how was our relationship back then." And then we did have an operations team too when I was starting out. I'd love to sit down with them and just see how they got to where they are. Um, kind of revisit my past a little bit and tell them thank you too. So I kind of did a little bit of an answer to that question. I, I would love to take everybody. So I have to pick like select few who have already worked with before. I love that idea. Of, uh, kind of going back to your your old self. What did you need? Yeah. What did you do? That's that's hilarious. All right. Well, thank you, Chelsea. This was fantastic. Really appreciate you sharing. My takeaways are a couple of things. One is um, that you really do kind of understand the business you're in. What is your overall model? Who are you trying to serve? And, and how does the company structured so that you can put the processes in place that are going to enable them? I love that you're designing the experience sort of based on how your customers want to engage and also how your sales team wants to engage in, in serving them. Like you said, you do a lot behind the scenes in operations, but as easily as you can make that small change that says, wow, this was a great impact. You can also make a small change where they go, why did you do that? You made it more difficult for me. If you keep your eyes on who you're serving, you're more likely to come out with lots of wins than than mistakes. I couldn't agree more. Just, yeah, listen to others and just do good work. Pretty simple sometimes. <laughs> we, can, we make it a little bit more complex, but that's really what it is. And thank you so much for being on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. The Upstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Upstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Upstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening. <laughs>